Marsha Hines there with a classic you. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we're joined by Alastair Laurie, Ricky Spencer and Todd Fernando. And we do have Alastair Laurie on the line. Alastair, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much for having me back. It's great to talk to you always, Alastair. Oh, so much happening in politics, both in uh, New South Wales, where you're based, and federally. Let's start with the federal government. It's been over 1,100 days since Scott Morrison promised to legislate to protect uh, queer kids in religious schools. What's your response to his broken promise? Uh, this has to be one of the most appalling acts of abandoning vulnerable people that we've seen by the Commonwealth Government in a long time. This was such a simple fix. He promised to protect LGBT students by the end of 2018. It could have been done very, very simply through the Sex Discrimination Act, and they just haven't. They, they've failed to do it. They've walked away from LGBT students in religious schools, and right now there are kids being discriminated against, mistreated, abused and harmed uh, because of their inaction. How on earth is uh, Scott Morrison justifying this when he's pressed on the issue? Unfortunately, he doesn't seem to be pressed on the issue very much at all. Uh, For they uh, referred this issue to the Australian Law Reform Commission um, in early 2019, and then they've continued to delay it since then. So the, the current process is that the Law Reform Commission will look at religious exceptions, but only once the Religious Discrimination Bill has passed, and even then they'll have another 12 months uh, to investigate the issue. So if you think about that logically, even if the Religious Discrimination Bill passes, and many of us hope it won't for lots of reasons which we might discuss later, and even if the the Law Reform Commission recommends removing these exceptions, and even if the Morrison government then accepts that recommendation and implements it, you're talking about 2024 at the earliest before these changes take effect. So a Year 7 student, when he first promised that he would do this, would have already left school by the time they get around to, to implementing it, if they ever do. I mean, the Prime Minister made this promise before the Wentworth by-election. It seemed like it was quite urgent then, obviously, for political imperatives. Uh, You know, it's one of the queerest electorates in the country. Uh, Was he telling a fib? Uh, I I can't speak to his mental state at the time, whether he was intentionally misleading the country or not, but we can judge him on his actions, or more specifically, his lack of action um, after making that promise and walking away from it. Um, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Dave Sharma and the Wentworth by-election. I think this is also a test for the gay and lesbian members of the Parliamentary Liberal Party, so the Trent Zimmermans and the Trevor Evans and the Tim Wilsons, Angie Bell and Dean Smith, and for the, the Rainbow Allies, the Warren Etches and the Dave Sharmas and the Katie Allens. They're part of this government that has abandoned LGBT kids. What are they going to do to fix this problem? What are they going to do to make sure that this promise is implemented? So it sounds like they're not pressing the Prime Minister on this broken promise or this delayed promise or whatever it is, this inaction. Uh, It it does seem like it. For us in the public arena, um, there's no sign of action. There's no sign of this promise being delivered. Um, While we're talking about this, though, uh, I should note that for the Labor Party, they're also not being as outspoken as they should be. One thing that they've talked a lot about recently is the Morrison government's promise to introduce a Commonwealth Integrity Commission and the fact that it's been more than a 1,000 days 
since that promise was made, you don't hear the same commentary, you don't hear the same um, criticism on this broken promise. The Labor Party should be being more outspoken and should be holding the government to account on this broken promise too. Yeah, why aren't they? Is it because they're scared that the government will kind of, you know, use it to wedge them, particularly in Western Sydney? Uh, like, what's what's the what's the Labor Party's game plan on being so silent on this broken promise? Uh, it, it's really hard to tell. Um, but I think one thing that was confirmed during the Wentworth by-election was just high, how high the level of public support was for protecting LGBT kids against discrimination. In fact the vast majority of the population thought that they already were protected. So I don't think that there's any good reason why the Labor Party shouldn't be more outspoken on this and shouldn't be prosecuting it, shouldn't be saying this is something that, if they're elected, they would do within the first six months of of their election. This is not only something that is incredibly fair and protecting vulnerable members of the community, it's something that the vast majority of the population supports. You mentioned the looming religious discrimination bill before numerous activists are saying that the government has a religious privilege narrative when it comes to that legislation and really when it you know comes down to their policies towards the LGBTIQ community. Would you agree with that and how would you define this religious privilege narrative? Uh, it, I think you and I have had this conversation before that if it was a genuine religious discrimination bill and protected people of faith, and especially people of minority faith against discrimination, that that would be not only acceptable, but a good thing. The, the problems arise when they depart from a standard religious discrimination bill and veer into the territory of uh, what they call religious freedom, but what others call religious privilege. And that's what we saw in the first two exposure draft versions of the religious discrimination bill. Uh, it, it wasn't, and particularly controversial, it wasn't necessarily protecting people of faith against discrimination, it was providing new means for people of faith and individuals of faith to discriminate against others. Uh, That's not what an anti-discrimination law should do, and that's why I and many other people continue to criticise those proposals and hope that the final religious discrimination bill doesn't look like it. Yes, one of the most high-profile and outspoken critics of the bill in the country. Uh, considering all of that, have any members of the Rainbow Caucus within the coalition that you mentioned before actually reached out to you to try and, you know, A, get your input, but B, just reassure you that they're working for us? Uh, so I'm an advisor to the Board of Just Equal Australia on uh, LGBTI anti-discrimination issues, and in that capacity I, I certainly have been... Um, briefing some members of the Liberal Party's uh, backbench on these issues and and hoping to convey to them the serious, substantive problems with the second exposure draft religious discrimination bill in the hope that some of those problems can be ameliorated in the final version. Um, We don't know what, what that final version will look like. We haven't seen any recent drafts, unlike, say, the Australian Christian Lobby, who seem to be publicly commenting that they are involved in negotiations on the draft. Um, But I I guess we'll find out one way or another in the next two to four weeks. So when you brief them, how do they respond? What do they say? Uh, Some of the briefings have been quite constructive and uh, they've certainly been asking uh, probing questions. I guess one thing that we've been trying to convey is just how extraordinary and unprecedented this bill is. So, for example... The Clause 42 Statement of Belief 
meeting speech is fine if it's religiously motivated. Um, we've been trying to emphasise that that is, in fact, entirely unprecedented in anti-discrimination law in Australia and would really destroy the fabric of anti-discrimination law in Australia. Now, I hope that that message has been received. Um, I guess we'll find out. Who in the Rainbow Caucus within the Coalition is the most engaged on the religious discrimination bill, do you think? Uh, I think a number of them are engaged. Um, I hope that... I'm sure that I'm not the only person. I'm sure that Just Equal is not the only group that is talking to um, Liberal moderates and and the uh, the so-called Rainbow Caucus of the Liberal Party. Um, So I hope that they're getting their information from a range of different groups and hearing about those problems from a range of different voices. Um, But again, the proof will be in the pudding um, and the test will be if the bill does retain those negative features, um, whether those members are willing to vote against it. Of course, last time we spoke, we chatted about Mark Latham's uh, Education Parental Rights Bill in New South Wales. Of course, he chaired the inquiry into that into that bill. Uh, where's all that at? So that inquiry reported in early September. Um, disappointingly, it really only tinkered at the edges. So uh, it recommended that one of the core problems of the bill, so the, the reintroduction of a Section 28, style calls from the UK, where any positive reference to LGBT issues in schools would be prohibited. Um, They they supported that um, being retained. They did support removing some of the anti-trans kids provisions from the bill, but only to reintroduce it in a policy. And so really, there was no substantive improvement. And in fact, some of the committee's recommendations uh, on what should go into that policy are super, super extreme. So, for example, um, if a t- if a student, including at government schools, uh, wants to affirm their gender in school, all the other parents of students in that group would need to be told that. So, a student's gender identity would be outed to the parents of all the other children of students in the same year at that school. That is truly extraordinary. It would uh, ban trans girls from using female bathrooms uh, unless, as the recommendation says, unless they've had a, a, quote, a full medical gender transition, which is extremely uncommon for people of school age. So these are the kinds of extraordinary and extreme things that that committee recommended. And we should note, all three government MPs on that committee and one of the two Labor uh, MPs on that committee supported this report. Are you concerned the new New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, will be sympathetic to this bill? I am no more or less concerned about the new Premier's position on this than I was about the old Premier's, and that's because I was already very concerned. So since this bill was introduced in August 2020, we've had two Premier's, Clean and Perrottet, and we've had two opposition leaders, Jody McKay and Chris Min, and not one of them has spoken out against this bill, and not one of them has said that they or their party will vote against it. It's been 14 months. This is the worst attack on LGBT rights, or the worst proposed attack on LGBT rights in Australia this century, and no leader of a major party in New South Wales has been willing to stand up against it. This is a real existential threat to our community. 
it's a bit of a pattern for the Labor Party. We're seeing it federally with the religious discrimination bill, and we've seen it with Jodie Mackay and now with Chris Minns. Uh, it's incredible, isn't it? It should be a slam dunk considering how extreme it is. This is just, uh, irrespective of the politics, this is just basic humanity. I mean, you treat other people with respect, or you should. You should accept uh, a trans child's identity as their own and and validate it, not try and erase it. Uh, I mean, one of the complications of this issue is going to be what happens in the lead-up to Sydney World Pride in 2023. We could well see this path between now and then, and, and... what happens then? Are we going to be talking about a possible global boycott of the event? Because the laws in New South Wales, the laws in the host city, will be seeking to erase trans children. Absolutely. I mean, it's a commercial risk, isn't it? It's, uh, it's you know, potentially a big blow to the Sydney economy if that happens. Uh, and it's just a moral issue, as you say. Uh, for sure. And, and even besides World Pride you could be talking about a a global reputation for bigotry, a global reputation for homophobia and a global reputation for transphobia. Business may well say we don't choose to do business in Sydney anymore because of how backwards it is. Absolutely. Elsie Laura, we are out of time. Always wonderful to chat with you on 3CR. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Thanks very much for having me. Alistair Laurie there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James and his regurgitator.
regurgitator there with the song formerly known as we are joined on the line by community activist Ricky Spencer. Ricky, welcome back to the show. Oh, welcome. Oh, I'm happy to be here, James. And I wanted to say to everyone, happy Pronouns Day for Wednesday. Oh, fantastic. Gee, Ricky, you know, every time I chat with you, you're always doing amazing work in the inclusion space. Give us an update about what you've been doing. I know you've been doing so much. Oh, where do I start? Look, uh, one of the things I might quickly do to um, everyone out there, uh, there's one project at the moment that's a really important one that we're doing with the Vanuel Council, and that's a housing um, project that we're developing for young people, say 16 to 25, who identify as trans and are at risk at homelessness. We're providing a really good co-designed workspace where they can come together we're all um, sort of a system with, you know, some expenses getting there and really work on strategies to secu- for secure housing. So that's one project. There's a flyer floating around, which I'll email. It's available for people who follow me on LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Uh, it's out there. Or look on Daniel Council. Um, so that's one, <laughs> one thing which I'm really passionate about and very proud to be involved. The other space that I'm now more involved with the uh, Victorian Greens. So I'm now convener for the homeless uh, and housing policies with my interest that I'm developing the LGBTIQ uh, health, affordable health strategies for older LGBTIQ community members, especially for those who are trans or gender diverse. So you're really putting queer policy on the Greens' agenda. Wow, you're so busy. Oh, look, you know, I have to. I mean, it's it's my, you know, I'm heading to that age. I've just turned 53, and I think to myself, oh, my God, what am I going to do when I hit that big 8-0? You know, and I still want to be around, and I really want to be around other people like myself, James. And I know speaking to a lot of um people who are now over 50, even in their 40s and 30s, I would say, you know, start planning, start thinking, where do I want to be in 30 or 40 years' time? What settings do I want to be? And most uh, people put it off, you know, because this is something that was predominantly by, you know, people who are heteronormative, heterosexual, have got married in the past, but now we have, you know, people can, you know, our community can get married. So it's good to plan. It's good to plan for our end-of-life approaching years, how we can be supported and make sure that we're in inclusive built spaces, having workers and having access to the things that enrich our identity. So I'm really excited by that because that is so important. And part of that is also with my work at HAG, which is Housing for Older LGBTIQ People, which we now, which is so fantastic. I'm excited to mention to everyone now we are developing new brochures that will be sent to people who work in the housing sector how to work affirmatively with our community. You know, because so many people have told us that when they're in housing crisis, coming out of COVID, you know, having to rent to pay or struggling affordable, you know, affordable spaces, they want to feel supported and you know, having to retell our stories, who we are. You know, you know, especially with people like myself who are trans and have limited paperwork, it's quite difficult. So we're trying to ways that people we can streamline the process and get people into affordable accommodation. 
oh my god, Jake, I have so much. I don't know how much to say. Um, that's 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 that one, Dale. The other one, of course, is my research, as you know, in um, that I'm doing in uh, examining heteronormative spaces within school settings. That is going fine. Um, with the focus groups, we're looking at teacher uh, perceptions and students' uh, responses. That's an ongoing uh, thing that will take a couple of years. But what I do want to say to people is to reach out. If you're wanting some information about how we can affirm trans health within the education space, within high schools, there are people out there like myself who are willing and able to assist teachers and parents how to approach that understanding the complex health needs and sexuality needs of our you know beautiful young people you've also been um you've also been involved with the disability uh, royal commission the royal commission yes. to disability oh. care tell us about the work you've been doing there oh look that's another one of my you know passion areas and i'm so privileged to be involved in that space what we're presenting and we've started presenting is just the needs that within our community so we're looking at what have we experienced. And I've, obviously, my focus has been people with disabilities who are LGBTIQ. So knowing what has happened for people living in care settings, people in supported accommodation, as to uh, any person who's had uh, experiences in the community through transphobia, homophobia, access to services. And it's been quite... You know, I have to say it is quite traumatic when you hear stories and what has been taking place. And I must say I am very impressed with the uh, commissioners because they are listening and because of the things that we were talking about and changes that we want, we're having an extra session another day we talk about. And I'm just in the middle of writing an important paper because one of the areas that I've also been researching in is in high schools, in special needs schools, you know, people who do represent as LGBTIQ don't necessarily get access to that type of education that relates to themselves. You know, there is hardly any any information about transgender or gender non-conforming identities within that space. And one of the factors that, you know, when we're looking at, like, Thorn Harbour Health, looking at, you know, harm minimalization, we want to teach all young people boundaries having safer, healthier sexual relationships from early years because everybody has a right to know how to have a relationship, you know, what it means to consent and not to be exploited or taken advantage of. And this is something that we have found within people who have lived disabilities that and might have an intellectual disability that struggle with because... When you leave the high school system, you're a teen, you go into perhaps supported uh, accommodation or group housing, and parents you know, aren't comfortable with their young adults wanting to explore their identity. So it's very important that they hear some of the frustrations and stories about these courageous young people that, you know, I just cry every time, but, you know, I'm passionate. I want to have their voices heard. And, you know, if if people are listening, please, you know what we really need, James? We need our community who want to change careers to start thinking about working, you know, the NDIS. We desperately need more support workers and healthcare workers who are LGBTIQ, who understand our community and want to give, want to work with us. 
that is one of the main solutions. You also established a healing space at Melbourne Uni for students with disabilities. Tell us about that space. Oh, well, that, well, that came out of a big um, uh, conversation that took place a couple of weeks ago with the Disability Inclusion Unit. As somebody who's at there, and I'm the LGBTIQ officer there, but I'm also someone who has a number of disabilities, and mobility is one of them. And what we kind of need is that we feel isolated. You know, COVID has had many, uh, many consequences. And one of the consequences are if, if you have disabilities, you're more likely to have less social contact than somebody who is able-bodied, you know, and is able to get around. And people forget, you know, like today everyone's saying, wow, we're not in COVID, we can get around. But, you know, there are many of us who still struggle with getting out for our mobility or those who, I say, have invisible disabilities, you know, who don't believe, are believed by others. So we've created, well, I've created a space that we meet every fortnight from 11 to 12 at the moment on Zoom. And what we, what we do is we do mindfulness together and what I call is care therapy. And care therapy is a bit out there. What we do is we get all our favourite comfy toys, if you've got really gorgeous toys, get your favourite doona, get your favourite pillows. We put on soft music or we put on waves, sound of waves, and we put some incense. If you've got incense around and we just talk to each other, we use soothing language and we really, within that one hour, we try and heal each other to feel good and revitalise our souls. And you know what? It's all about coming together as a community. And, you know, there's people of different ages, different uh, disabilities. But one thing we have in common is that we want to, we, we are alone, we want to belong, and we feel isolated. And I'm trying to address that sense of isolation. Part of that, we've also established a WhatsApp. So when you go to campus and you're feeling alone, you can say, hey, is there someone out there that was coming and want to sit with me while I have a coffee? Or can someone come and help me with my books because they're heavy to carry? Or I need help accessing the toilet. Can someone give me a hand? Mind my books. It's just those simple things that services don't provide, but we can, within our own communities, be resilient. And I'm so proud of this because, to me, you know, it's not just about me studying and, and doing a piece of paper. It's for me about changing things around me that other people coming don't have to go through what I've gone through or my colleagues have gone have gone through. Absolutely. It's about systemic change and, you know, creating community connections to do that. Another project you've been working on, my God, there's just so many, is a project <laughs> at Thorn Harbour Health with the incredibly talented artist Peter Waples Crow, uh, who's also, of course, a community educator and um, does so many, you know, wonderful projects at Thorn Harbour. What can you tell us about that project with Peter? Well, look, we're going to look at a lovely, wonderful ways of connecting um, uh, First Nations people from our community and, and most importantly, Indigenous people who uh, have lived disabilities. And we want to create, like, a ways of voices through the expression of art, coming together, you know, yarning, but also, importantly, maybe creating something, creating a story creating a footprint of lived experience through the lens of that that lived experience. And with the help of Peter and myself, we will kind of help guide that process along. But we're also looking at other projects to also educate other people, or I should say inform other health providers and services 
what does it mean to be, you know, Indigenous, to be from stolen generation? How do you fit in? You know, what's the language? You know, how best to work effectively? Because we have to move away from tokenism. We have to now move away from thinking the other. We're all part of it, especially LGBTIQ. There is such a, you know, it's not a one monogamous sort of group. You know, everyone is unique. Everyone has, you know, different gender expressions, different um, ways of expressing love, being loved, as well as intersex. You know, we need to have that. And within the Indigenous community, there has for too long been a silent feeling of not being welcomed. So we're revitalising that space and we're going to create welcome to country through Thorn Harbour that we care and we're going to, you know, it's going to be fabulous. We're going to have, you know, I'll have to tell you once we start and have projects starting and, you know, I think everyone can become involved, you know, and just care. You know, that's my big message. I just come from a, a short conference on changing um, healthcare training for social work. And one of the things I said we need to bring in is the care, especially for LGBTIQ community. You know, understand us. And you know what? Did I just say, James, pronouns have saved my life in one way because it's allowed me the gift of sharing to somebody who I am and through that acknowledgement of who I am to another human being, I'm giving you that that gift of telling you, you know what, this is my gender identity, non-binary, female, and then I'm, you know, if you want to tell me your, and we're connecting, we're understanding each other. And for everybody listening out there, please consider, you know, advocating with your students and even as a consumer of services, introducing yourself with a pronoun. It's a wonderful way to educate our population of respect, of addressing systemic inequality. Ricky Spencer, it is wonderful to hear your voice. It's wonderful that you're thriving and helping the community to flourish. Thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Thank you so much, James, for giving me the opportunity. And I wish you well and your lovely listeners a beautiful Christmas. Stay safe in COVID. Please get vaccinated and stay strong. And connect with other people. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ricky. Cheers. Thank you. Ricky Spencer there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James.
Cheryl Lee there. To be real, you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined on the line by Todd Fernando, who is the Victorian Commissioner for LGBTIQ Communities. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you on this fine Friday? I am great, and I'm so excited about JabFab because so many queer folks are getting vaccinated. Tell us about that wonderful program and campaign. Yeah, well, we're coming to a, the way, almost to the end of Rainbow Vaccination Week, which is encouraging LGBTQ plus people to get out there and get their fab jabs. Um, we really listened to community on this one when um, they came to us with concerns around vaccine hesitancy, misinformation, um, and really wanting a uh, safe and inclusive environment to receive their vaccin- vaccination. And so we were happy to provide support around removing those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. There's been so many concerns for the community. I know in the gender diverse community, people were, you know, often worried about being misgendered when they had their vaccination. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so listening to those concerns among others, which was, um, you know, real providing targeted information which addresses these specific concerns, such as um, information for trans and gender diverse people wanting reassurance that the vaccine won't interact badly with their hormone replacement therapy or information for people with hate, living with HIV needing to know that the vaccines won't cause complications with their HIV treatments. Um, and so we're really, really proud to have partnered with um, incredible uh, queer organisations on leading this work. So what do the stats say about our vaccination rates within the rainbow communities? Do we compare, uh, are our vaccination rates lower than the, than the rest of the population? Look, that's probably much, uh, the answer to that question is broader, uh, broader conversation around around how we uh, collect data on LGBTQ plus people, um, particularly within those, within vaccinations. We don't um, ask people's uh, gender or sexuality in that way um, to provide accurate details. But, um, you know, anything that we can do to get all Victorians over the line on vaccinations is something that we're really happy to play a role in. Yeah, absolutely. And that data theme is something that just comes up again and again and again when I talk to people in, you know, queer health provision that, you know, the government doesn't, you know, keep enough stats? You know, it's something that we're working very hard on and it's something that requires a, a big conversation because, you know, as you as you can imagine, the system of data collection across both Victoria as a state and federally, um, as well as other, other states around Australia, um, you know, requires uh, some conversations about what does that mean and, and what does that look like into the future. So um, it's probably a watch this space and see what happens, but the conversations are, are happening. So you've recently been appointed as the ongoing Victorian Commissioner for LGBTIQ Communities. Congratulations. Thank you. What does the Commissioner actually do? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And look, while we've made great progress in Victoria towards equality, there's much more work to be done. And I'm excited to be part of that effort of um, as the as the Victorian Commissioner for LGBTQ plus communities. Um, My role uh, is really about providing advice to the Victorian government on creating inclusive policies and services and programs that meet the needs of LGBTQ plus people. Um, I'm very interested in meeting people on the ground and and meeting people where they are in order to understand their needs and how we can um, help support them and their growth and their development. And as we continue to progress equality, I'm particularly focused on reorganising and celebrating the many parts that make up um, who we are. And part of that will be playing a leading role in the implementation of the whole of government LGBTQ plus strategy, um, as well as um, advocate government to invest in uh, reforming policies that affect regional and rural uh, LGBTQ plus folks. 
Is there a particular policy that's dear to your heart that you really want to get up in the, say, you know, first 12 to 18 months of your role as commissioner? Yeah, look, there are a number of things that are dear to my heart um, in terms of coming into this position. Uh, but for me, it is really giving voice to the regional and rural um, LGBTQ plus folk. I myself grew up in a regional um, town in, in New South Wales. And, um, you know, I did the, the thing that many young queers do, which is you leave your country town and you head into the city to look for your other chosen family um, and to find connections in that way. And it's still something that is emerging and it's a pattern that happens within our communities that um, that is, is still ongoing. And I'm really interested in, in to know why that is the case. And of course, we can, you know, I can use my own lived realities and experiences to understand why that is the case. But how we respond to that is really, really important. So I'm looking forward to being able to get out on the ground and, and building, um, you know, that connection uh, with regional and rural LGBTQ uh, plus people to understand what it is that they need uh, me to do for them um, inside a government. And it's so affirming for the community to have a First Nations person as our commissioner. You must be hearing that a lot. Yeah, and look, it is really, it, it, it speaks to the testament of how far we come. Sometimes the narrative on Aboriginal advancement um, is often situated in damage and deficit thinking. But to think that a little boy from the bush, uh, first in his family to graduate high school, uh, go on to university and is now leading, uh, you know, the state, as my mum calls me, I'm the chief gay of Victoria, um, which is a title I'll uh, laugh at. But um, nonetheless, uh, you know, it, that journey really does speak to how, how far we've come but you know it speaks to the fact that it is possible it's possible for for many members of our community who are feeling isolated and vulnerable about the situations they find themselves in that success isn't something that is far-reaching but something that is actually um, available to them do you feel much pressure all that considered being such a trailblazer um i don't know if it's pressure but it's certainly something that um, you know, is, I'm constantly reminded of the uh, the voice that I have and the weight that that carries. And um, you know, I'm very mindful of of ensuring that I stay humble in that way and be grounded and remain connected to to community on the ground. So, tell us a bit more about your personal journey. Like, how did you end up becoming the commissioner? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's been a long one coming, but I, you know, I did did. Uh, quite a lot of work in the lead up um, to this role. Um, and so, you know, I started out in health um, health and education, uh, working in and around New South Wales and um, looking at policy and reforming, um, reforming policy. And uh, it was an interest of mine because... Um, it's something that I saw gaps in and something that particularly in the uh, early 2000s when we weren't thinking particularly in that way in Australia um, and something that I sort of sunk my teeth into and then over the last kind of uh, eight years I've been working as an academic at the University of Melbourne um, doing a doctoral research on understanding the social, cultural and historical factors that shape the health and identity of queer Australians and that really provided me insights into um, understanding you know, where it is that we've come from where are we now and where are we going? Um, that with a whole raft of other experiences, um, you know, in the public and, and private sector really allowed me to, uh, you know, be, be qualified for this job and, and to do it with, not with ease, but with, uh, you know, with charisma and uniqueness, I will say. Absolutely. Your research sounds fascinating. What was the most striking, uh, striking factor that jumped out to you about, you know, what's affected us in Australia as a queer community, like the biggest impact or just what, what jumped out the most? 
Yeah, look, one of the things that I took away from that research was um, the, uh, this is going to sound very academic, but the dichotomy, the binary between, uh, you know, Indigenous and non-Indigenous LGBTQ plus folks. So when we think about that experience of how um, how LGBTQ or sexuality emerged on this continent that we call Australia, it happened at the same time where Aboriginal queerness and queer identity was being eroded. And so that shift and that complexity um, was really, really interesting. Um, and it, it jumped out at me because it meant that we as communities, while separated by um, culture, our comes together and connects when it comes to sexuality. And, and that was really nice thing for me to find in that research. Absolutely. And there must be so much we can learn about Indigenous queerness in this country. Well, and it is a growing field, Indigenous queerness, and we're collecting the stories and understanding that. And that'll play a very pivotal role in, uh, particularly in Victoria, as Victoria undertakes its um, Europe Justice uh, Commission, um, which looks at the truth-telling process of what happened to Aboriginal Victorians. And so, um, you know, we will we'll need to apply a, a queer lens to understand the experiences of Aboriginal LGBTQ plus people in Victoria um, who will be given an opportunity to provide, um, you know, written and oral uh, statements about their experiences and their journeys. Fantastic. So having you as the commissioner will really give queer uh, First Nation folks a seat at the table, if you like, a representative with a seat at the table in that kind of healing process. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's. Uh, I, I, I'm hopeful that I will be able to play a, a strong role as, as being an advocate in in that way. Um, but you know, not to pigeonhole me. But you know, I'm a commissioner for everybody. But yes, certainly, um, you know, will will um, play a strong role in supporting my um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters who happen to be uh, LGBTQ plus. Um, you know, part of the family. Of course, so you're the second person in the role. Uh, you've replaced Ro Allen. How do you think your style will be different to hers or theirs? Um, theirs, yes. Uh, look, Ro and I, I've known Ro for, for a number of years now, and they are a formidable force. And um, we are very two different people, though we get along like a house on fire and, have, you know, always have. Um uh, what Roe has done in Victoria is built an incredible infrastructure of LGBTQ plus organisations, um, strengthened by policies um, and reform, uh, which is much needed. Where I'm happy to be able to come in on is is to continue to strengthen that, but to also, um, you know, push the bounds on where it is that we need to go, and to be able to do that in partnership, um, continually with with LGBTQ plus people. Fantastic. Now, of course, Fab Jab is not over yet as part of Rainbow Vaccination Week. If people do want to get vaccinated, where do they go? Give us those details. Yeah, so we've got a couple of locations. So we've got the Victorian Pride Centre in St Kilda will be open till 8 o'clock tonight and they will have, um, they will also have their clinic open tomorrow and Sunday from 10am to 6pm. Um, and Drummond Street uh, in Carlton, as well as your community health in Preston are also stepping up and playing a role. It's important to note that um, in this role, I've been privileged to be able to speak with many of our um, vaccination hubs across Victoria to ensure that they understand um, what inclusivity means when it comes to LGBTQ plus folks. So we're encouraging all of our fabulous community to go out and get fab jab. Fantastic. Well, it's a great project. It's great to, to have you at the helm, Todd, as our new commissioner for LGBTIQ communities here in Victoria. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. 
Thank you for having me. Commissioner Todd Fernando there, and you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. 3CR. And we'll catch you next week on In Your Face, taking us as Olivia Newton-John. Bye, everyone.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.